Go ahead and be dismissed to Children's Church. And uh, let's just bow before the Lord right now. And uh, not only did we sing this song, but let's utter it as a, as a prayer. Maybe you were in a prayerful attitude as you sung, but maybe you need just a moment where you can bow before him and you can say, come Lord. And maybe there's something that, uh, that, that you have going on in your head, in your heart, your mind, your life, your world that you go, Lord, God, right now, this is the burden that I have. This is what I'm bearing. You know, I need, I, I need you to, I, I need you to take it. I need you to speak into it. I need you to give me leadership, guidance, wisdom, direction. I need you, your mercy, your grace. So I'm going to give you a moment. Just be quiet, silent before the Lord. Uh, talk to the Lord. Uh, seek him while he may be found. Come thou fountain. Uh, Lord God, I come to you right now, and uh, I thank you for who you are. Uh, I thank you for the songs that we've been able to sing today, Lord, that, um, that draw us to you. Uh, Lord, our prayer is that the songs that we've sung, that they've not just been words uttered from our lips, but they've been true confessions of our faith. They've been received by you as, as it were, a sweet-smelling odor, Lord. Might these songs be like the, uh, the incense that would rise up, Lord. Uh, God, thank you for the word from uh, my sister, Miss Angie. Lord, Today, as we come to your word that's been written and preserved, uh, your word that uh, has been exemplified and lived out uh, and embodied in your son, your word that uh, was breathed out by your spirit, uh, your word that uh, you still keep alive through the liveliness of your spirit, Lord. Uh, your word which I hope to proclaim in the power of your spirit. As we come to your word, Lord, I pray that you would attend to us, uh, that that which we are seeking, we will find. Uh, maybe, Lord, even to surprise us, that which we did not know to be seeking, we will find. Uh, God, be with us. Uh, be with me as the... Uh, mouthpiece. Let uh, the words that I utter be true, right, pure, holy, and virtuous. Uh, let them be established not by my persuasion. Uh, thank you that it does not require my eloquence or skill, but let it be established by your spirit. And that which we hear and we receive from you today, might we apply to our lives. Might everything we say be true, as a true witness of your good news. Yeah. And then, Lord, might it bring you honor and glory, I pray. Not only in this moment, but as it is lived out, applied and lived out through our lives. I pray these things in the mighty, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Uh,
So there's this book I'm reading, Brother Michael, if you'll bring up the picture there. It's called Analog Christian, Cultivating Contentment, Resilience, and Wisdom in the Digital Age. And uh, so far, uh, I'm really enjoying the book. Uh, um, what, uh, what, what he's trying to do is uh, he's, he's going off of, um, he, this was somebody who, during the pandemic, uh, if y'all uh, experienced this, you, you might find this book uh, something that you might want to read yourselves. But, but as he was going through the pandemic, what he found was that he was lacking contentment, resilience. And wisdom. These things were being challenged in his life, and 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 he, and he could directly tie it to his engagement with social media and things of that nature, and other various medias, and and the isolation that we experienced, and and the ways that we could hide behind screens um, to be to be uh, you know to forget that there's other human beings on the other side of the screens, and we could just be a little bit nasty and unruly, and ways in which we could find ourselves. Uh, seeking uh, fulfillment and pleasure and delight with whatever we could find in the screen. You know, whether it's, uh, you know, you're uh, being a consumer and browsing through the endless ads that they, that they give you and all the cool stuff that you can get and you are just dreaming, if only I had a little bit more money, I could have some cooler clothes or some nicer cars or, you know, I could uh, have some better... Uh, <laughs> Those Dr. Squatch uh, 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 soap commercials, right? I could just have the best soap on the market, right? Even something like that, right? We could we could find ourselves uh, longing for that, and, and and the sky's the limit. But in this book, um, he uh, is combating these things and going into the fruit of the spirit, going into the fruit of the spirit, and how the very first thing that he talks about is how. If we begin to love as a vocation, uh, how that can breed contentment in our lives. And, um, and as he's talking about love as a vocation, he, he, he further clarifies it and defines it. He says, you know, love is willing the other's good or the good of the other. And I think that that's a really good way to define love. It's, it's, it's me actively willing. And so I'm going to not only want the, your, your good, but I'm going to do what I can do to participate in helping you come to, um, to, 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 to good blessings and benefits and good, um, good in your life. And, and, you know, we'll just leave that there. But, but, but he, he, he says love should be a vocation as our vocation. It should be our willing the good of the other. And then he gives this illustration. And he illustrates how his friend Nina, she willed the good of her best friend's brother. See, her best friend's brother found out that he needed a kidney. And Nina, who loved her best friend and actually loved her best friend's family, uh, Nina couldn't just sit back and go, okay, well, that really stinks. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm torn up about this. I'm broken about this. I'm just going to sit there and, 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 you know, be sorry about it, as it were. But Nina said, I can, I'm going to see if I can participate in this. And so Nina went and got tested and found out that she could be a kidney donor for her best friend's brother. And then Nina went the whole nine yards. She went through all the testing protocols and procedures. And whenever you donate a kidney or an organ, um, you have to have, it has to be a self-willed thing. You, so what she actually honestly had to do was she had to climb up on the operating table herself so that she was willingly participating in this. There was just, it's this active image that nobody's coercing her, nobody's, you know, demanding this of her. Nobody's, you know, um, you know, she's not doing this under threat, as it were. And so Nina does this, and, and this is a really bold, beautiful, courageous way to love somebody. And as I read the story, and I was moved by it, I also thought, these are always the stories we hear when we're reading books like this. 
These are always the stories we hear when preachers are preaching or teachers are teaching. We hear about these bold, courageous, very big ways in which people can love one another. And I understand that the author, uh, J. Kim, what he wanted to do was to celebrate his friend Nina, and I celebrate his friend Nina with him, and we should celebrate his friend Nina with him. I understand that that's what he wanted to do, but, but I also understand pastorally, and especially as we've been talking about doing much and mundane, I understand that you and I hear these stories so much about the big, bold, courageous ways in which people love that there's a couple things that happen whenever we read these stories. Not only do we have this tendency to celebrate Nina, we also have this tendency to go, well, I've never done that. Maybe I'm not doing enough. And yeah, we could come in and we could say, hey, listen, you really got to challenge that thought process. And and really, we should, right? We should not compare ourselves amongst ourselves. Paul says it's not wise for us to do it. And we can, we can outline why it's not wise for us to do it. But as we are in this season of considering much in the mundane, uh, I do believe that we, we can evaluate that these are the types of stories that we always hear. And what that does to us as we read the stories or as we hear the stories, it makes us feel like we are not doing enough, being enough. And sometimes I think that's what we think that the Bible wants us to feel. Like you're never enough. You're never going to measure up. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you left a message and you were made to feel that way? If you've left a message from here and you were made to feel that way, I, I don't think that I'm any less guilty than anybody else. So, I'm sorry. Then uh, I think, is this what the Bible, is this what Scripture wants us to get at? And it can seem that way. Because all have fallen short and come short of the glory of God, right? None of us could measure up. But, and so we think that the story of Scripture might be the story of where you and I are just never going to measure up. And God, despite his distaste for us, he, he did something really nice for us. But that's looking at all, us in this mix way more than it looks at God. Because really when we begin to unpack it, we begin to see it. And it's something that we said a few weeks ago. Like, you know, the, the story isn't, hey, you know, only despite who you are. The story is, do you see who God is? The story is always, let me show you the truth of God. Because in this world, we have counterfeit gods. We have idols. We have various religions and every idol and every idolatry and every paganism and every religion, all they, they all have the same suppositions and it is the supposition that God is, he is, he's just not really, he's not for us. We have to coerce him. We have to convince him. And the God revealed in Scripture, the God who, 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 who came to, to, to Abraham and called him out of Ur of the Chaldees didn't say, Hey, Abraham, I found that you are a really great guy. And, and because you've been doing all the right things, I am going to do something really great for you. God came to Abraham for no good reason that you and I could understand. And in fact, if you read Abraham's story, Abraham wasn't this man who was full of faith at the beginning. But Abraham is a man who God walked with and made him faithful in the end. So I think sometimes we just read it from a wrong category. The gospel is not first and foremost about you and me. But the gospel, the good news is first and foremost about who God is. And how he's fully revealed himself, his goodness, his love toward all of us in his son, Jesus. 
And if we start there, then we don't have to do, then that challenges us maybe so that we are not always just looking and going, oh, I'm not doing enough. We can always start with God is always going to do what is necessary. God is always going to be merciful. You ever start there? God is always going to take care of me. See, that's an interesting thing. God's going to take care of me even whenever I go out and I do stupid stuff this week. And I do ungodly things. Can we preach that message? Well, we could preach that message, preacher, but then people might go out and just do a bunch of ungodly things. Is that not our fear? So we're always told these big stories. Nina's story is a beautiful story. I do not take anything away from Nina's story. But pastorally, I know that Nina's story, Nina's story can be used by our flesh and by the enemy to make you think God's only going to be happy with you if you do what Nina did. Or people will only really know that you believe in Jesus if you do what Nina did. The interesting thing that I think that we really have to consider as I read Nina's story, and I do celebrate what Nina's done, is if you really want to track Nina's story, you can't start with, her finding out that her friend's or best friend's brother had kidney failure and needed a new kidney. And then Nina said, well, let me rise to the challenge. If you really think about Nina's story, Nina's story starts somewhere else. And to me, the way that I would, uh, that I can most articulate this is this. Nina's story starts out and it's lived out that every day of Nina's life, for however long she's been walking with the Lord, Nina has been in the, in the ordinary, unseen, uh, thankless moments, Nina has been walking in love. See, Nina doesn't get this challenge and rise up to it because she's Nina and she's something special and she has more specialness in her than you do or more faithfulness in her than you do. But Nina's story has to be one that we read and we go, man, Nina was preparing for this, not because she was preparing for a big moment. Nina was just prepared for this because in the daily mundane moments, Nina was walking in love. That's my supposition anyway. And I get that supposition. I think about Daniel whenever Daniel was an old man. And the king's edict came to Daniel. And the king's edict said that you were to pray to no other God. And Daniel, this edict came by way of Daniel's enemies who wanted to entrap Daniel because they knew that Daniel every day would open up his windows and he would face Jerusalem and he would bow down and he would pray to Yahweh. And they said, Daniel is not going to stop doing that. We can get Daniel into that lion's den. And I heard a preacher say one time, Daniel only did that whenever he was an old man because Daniel was willing as a young man to say, we are not going to eat the king's meat. So Daniel wasn't brought this fresh challenge and can you rise up to it? But Daniel had been prepared to meet that challenge throughout his life. And that's what I want us to kind of consider is that we, we, Shouldn't just merely think about these big, bold, courageous moments like, well, I'm looking, what kidney can I give? But you and I 
should understand we will never be ready for those moments. Unless you and I can understand that right now, right here, in this moment, in this regular moment, this routine moment, a moment that, that we repeat here over and over and over again, you're enough. You're enough to be loved by God fully. God's not going like, hey, look, and I will give you more if. That you and I have to understand that in this moment, what is enough of us is to trust in Jesus actively. And we know that trusting in Jesus is not just something that happens between our ears or it's not just something that we hold deeply within our heart, but trusting in Jesus, it it transforms the way we live. And we were going to say actively trusting in Jesus is walking in the spirit. It It is just simply being kind and thoughtful and gentle and peaceful and, uh, and love, loving people right now. That's enough. These are my beliefs. These are my points. These are my suppositions. But it doesn't matter if I tell you all this, does it? God has to affirm this. God has to have told us that this is the way, that this is true. And I believe he's done so in the book of Galatians. And so I'm going to invite us to turn to the book of Galatians. And one, I think about uh, these stories like Nina's, these stories that are big, bold, daring, courageous stories that uh, are awesome and worthy to be celebrated, but have this tendency to make you and I feel like that's what we need to be doing if we're going to be pleasing God or if we're going to be testimonies of Jesus in this world. Like that's what needs to happen. I think about the apostle Paul because the apostle Paul was this human being. He's not a demigod. Right? He's, not, he's, he's nothing more than you and I are. Right? He is a human being who was, who was given the, the Holy Spirit, just like you and I have been given the Holy Spirit. But Paul was called to a peculiar call, and Paul understood the peculiarity of his call. But Paul was this human being who did a lot of bold, daring, courageous, adventurous things in the name of Jesus for the sake of people. Would you all agree with that? Right? Paul is this guy. I mean, if you don't know Paul's life and his story, man, you need to go read the, 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 the book of Acts and especially pay attention to the second part of the book of Acts and then go read some of Paul's personal te- accounts. Like in Galatians chapter number two, he begins to tell a personal testimony about some things that he had to do and, and that he endured. And, and, and one of those personal testimonies is, is, is he has to speak up to Peter in front of a group of people because he has to say that what Peter is doing is is out of bounds. That takes some, that takes some moxie, right? That takes some courage. Um, and, so, and so Paul did these kinds of things. He traveled throughout the uh, Roman Empire in the first century. And he went to places that he had never been to before. And he was preaching the gospel to people who were pagans, people who, um, who were uh, deeply involved in the empire. In the, uh, the, the cult of the emperor, he, he was preaching the good news that Jesus is Lord in a, in a, in a, in a uh, kingdom, in an empire that said that there is only one Lord and his name is Caesar. And so Paul uh, came up against mobs and he came up against magistrates. He en- endured all sorts of perils. And, and, and when you read Paul's story, we're all kind of amazed because Paul kind of does this. He's like the Energizer Bunny, if you will, if you can remember this, and most of y'all can because you're old enough to remember this, but he can take a lick and keep on ticking. And sometimes we are just amazed when we read Paul's stories and we're like, my goodness, Paul was something spectacular. In fact, if we are really paying attention, a lot of people will put an S on Paul's chest. Paul was so inspiring as an individual. Now, I do know scholarly, a lot of people have some, uh, some, some, some quarrels with Paul, but, uh, but, but a lot of us who read the story, we are amazed by this individual. And here's, here's what I think is interesting. I, I think it's very interesting that Paul, despite all this, and I'm going to leave it to you to go find Proof 
to the contrary of this. But despite all this, I never find Paul saying, hey, I left my comforts and my home and I went and traveled and that's what you need to do too. When Paul writes his letters, and he wrote, uh, uh, he wrote a large part of the New Testament letters. When he writes to the disciples there, Paul, I never find him saying, outside of following his character, he doesn't say, hey, you need to be doing exactly what I'm doing to be living out your faith. And in fact, what we find in Galatians is that Paul often, and you can find this throughout his letters, often what Paul is dealing with is not people who he needs to be telling, uh, hey, you need to be doing some, some more stuff, some big, bold, daring actions. There's, there's actually a situation throughout the, the New Testament epistles that Paul is addressing where he's saying, hey, I know people are trying to make you do more stuff. But I'm here to tell you that's baloney. That's hogwash. That's not true. And so, in Galatians chapter one, number one, one thing that I want us to see is um, uh, just very clearly is uh, Paul had a peculiar call, and Paul was a peculiar individual, and, um, and and I think Paul understood this about himself, and he was fine with that. And so, when we think about Paul never saying, "Hey, listen, I, I travel all over the Roman Empire, and you need to do that too." If you're going to show people that you really love Jesus. Well, Paul was always kind of a bold, wild, courageous dude, even before he knew Jesus. So I wanted us to see this in first in Galatians chapter number one, verse number 13. He says, uh, you have heard of my conversation or my lifestyle in times past in the Jews religion. He said how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God. And I wasted it. I profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation because I was more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. This was Paul before he knew Jesus. Paul was already this bold, daring, courageous, zealous individual. So here's what I want to say about this. Paul reveals to us that Bold, zealous, uh, courageous, adventurous people. Uh, it doesn't require the Holy Spirit of God for you to be bold, zealous, courageous, adventurous. Paul was already these things. It's who he was. And if you look around, there are different personality types in here. There are some of us who are extroverted. You get energy from being around people. You get life by being around people. I am an extrovert. I can see it in some of my sons. or My youngest one, I think, in particular, he gets a little bit more wily. Uh, uh, some of you are introverted. That doesn't mean that you can't talk to anybody. It doesn't mean that you're shy. It can mean, though, that being around people wastes you. It takes energy out of you. My wife is an introvert. She doesn't seem an introvert because she is herself and she's pretty bold and she's not shy and she's not timid. But I can tell you, after we've been around people, I am like, what, what else are we going to do? And she's like, I need to sit down. <laughs> I'm tired. We have different personality. And here's why I think that this is Interesting is God likes us to have our peculiar personalities, our peculiar identity. Paul understood that. Paul understood not only that his personality was peculiar, he understood that his ethnicity was peculiar. He was a Jew. He was born a Jew. And he had this ministry to go to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. And to tell them that the promises, the love, the mercy of God was available to them as fully and as freely as it was to his Jewish brothers and sisters. 
as it was to him. And here's the thing too, is Paul wanted them to celebrate that God loved their peculiarity too. He loved their individuality. He loved their uniqueness. He wasn't trying to make them all carbon copies of one another. And here's why you need to understand that. Because the issue that Paul is facing in the book of Galatians is this issue where these Gentile believers, these Gentile disciples of Jesus are being told that if they really want to experience the full benefits of God's mercy, his grace, the full benefits of of the full rightness of being heirs of God's promises, what they have to do is become like Jews. They have to identify as Jews. They have to forsake their peculiar identity as Gentiles and, 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 and lump up with this Jewish identity. And the way that they would do that as males would be through this act, which was a ritual act. And it was a pragmatic act, but it was this act of circumcision. And whenever I think about Nini's story and I think about Nini going under the knife to give her kidney, I think circumcision is one of those things where you can't get a little bit more big, bold, daring, courageous, and adventurous than as a grown man saying, I'm going to identify as a Jew. And so what I'm going to do is go under the knife. And in fact, if you think about it, that seems just like what would be necessary for me if I was going to really prove that I trusted Jesus and that I believed in God's promises. You know what God would want of me? He would want me to, to, lay, uh, to lay my life on the line, if you will. I have... God would want me to do this. And Paul has to go throughout the book of Galatians and say, that's not it. And throughout the book of Galatians, Paul wants them to know that, hey, this this idea, this understanding that you need to be doing more big, bold, daring, courageous things like undergoing circumcision. That's a lie. What's enough is that God, because of who he is, because of his, his character, God sent his son, Jesus. And all God wants you to do is actively trust in Jesus. All God wants you to do is to believe in, what his, in who his son is, what his son has done, and, and what his son will do through you. In fact, what we can find as we unpack it, Paul would say, hey, you just trust that you live in this economy of God's grace. God is good just for the sake that God is good. That's the world that we live in. God is not good because you get circumcised. God is not good because you identify as a Jew. God is not good because you go and you give your kidney to somebody. God is not going to be good to you. Provide for you a job, provide for you a spouse, provide for you a home. He's not going to provide for you because you do all these things well and right. And we can look at this world and know some people have great jobs and they have great spouses and they have great families. And it seems to be despite themselves. And some of us are fooled to think that we have all these things only because of ourselves. But God is good. That's who he is. In fact, what Paul says is he says, if you really want to identify with the, the Jews, if you really want to identify with Abraham, who is the patriarch of the Jews, what you need to do is have the same faith that Abraham had. And so he expounds this in chapter number three. But in chapter number two, one of the, the great statements that he has, and I don't have it up on the board, is this. He says, I am crucified with Christ because of my faith. What has happened is this bold, daring, declarating act has taken place in my life. I'm crucified with Christ. When did he ever get crucified? He didn't. But Christ did it for him. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth within me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And he says, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness, 
If my rightness came through my obedience of the law, then Christ is dead in vain. So Paul wants the church to know, hey, I know you've been told you need to be doing more big, bold, daring, courageous things. But I'm here to tell you, it's not about what you've done. It's about what Jesus has done, what God has done through Jesus. It's not about what you are able to do, but what you can do through the Spirit. So Paul trusts in this economy of grace, and he trusts in the gift of the Spirit to accomplish much in the mundane. And so then we find in chapter number five that Paul outlines this. He says, hey, listen, he says, if you really want to live for God, if you really want to accomplish what God desires of you, what you have to do is walk in the Spirit. And we see this, and we talk about this all the time, but that is what Paul believes fully. What you and I, what's required of us is that you and I walk in the Spirit and we produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, goodness, gentleness, faithness, kindness, temperance. And he says, against all these things, there's no law. Another way that you could say this is all these things help you fulfill the law. If you want to think about it in those terms, if, if you believe that there is a way in which you need to be obedient to God, it is by walking in the Spirit. Now, here's the thing that I want us to see is in chapter number six. Paul gets to this point in verse number four. And I'm going to read it in the uh, NLT on the screen. But in verse number four, in chapter number six, after he's told them to walk in the spirit in chapter number six, he just starts giving them some practical exhortations. But he gets to this one in verse number four. He says, pay careful attention to your own work. Then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. What I think is very interesting about this is he says, uh, oh yeah, we are each responsible for our own conduct. Whenever I think about this, I think about Nina's story. And I think when we read Nina's story, we do need to challenge that voice that comes in and says, you're not doing enough. Look at what Nina did. You didn't do that. What we need to do is we need to be able to say, man, Nina was called to do something and I celebrate what Nina did. Full stop, end. And here's what I think is really important about this is if we don't just need Nina's stories. We don't just get challenged by Nina's stories, but you and I get challenged every day and we get challenged every day in the mundane moments, I believe. You open up social media and you're a, you're, you're a business owner and you see somebody else's business booming and they are they they have this creative content and you open up social media and you see their creative content and you go oh man i'm not doing enough to reach people uh, i can tell you pastorally sometimes it does get hard whenever you sit there and you look around the city and um just in my honest moments i would have to be true to this is you look around the city and you see these churches popping up and it's like Man, within like a few weeks, they have a few hundred people there and everything looks slick and smooth and, and you're going, okay, why don't I measure up? Why don't we measure up as a church? What are we not doing enough of? Parents experience this. Their kids don't sit on their lap and... <laughs> talk through the service and cling to them whenever they come into church. What are they doing that I'm not doing? See, Paul, I believe, and this is a supposition, Paul would never say that you and I have to compare ourselves to him because Paul never wanted even to compare himself to another. And he didn't want to set himself up as the one that you compare yourself to. Now, Paul would set himself up as an example. He would say, follow me as I follow Christ. There are moments whenever he says those types of things. But I believe that Paul understood peculiarity and he celebrated it. And more that Paul wanted to know that you were peculiarly loved by God. And so Paul says, hey, don't, don't get into this game where you are comparing yourself, comparing what God calls you to do against what somebody else is doing. Just take care of your own work. And then 
a few verses later, he says this in Galatians chapter number six. Brother Michael, if you'll bring that up. He says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. Those who live only to satisfy their own sinful nature will harvest decay and death from that sinful nature. But those who live to please the spirit will harvest everlasting life from the spirit. I think about what Miss Angie said earlier. You know, sometimes you, 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 when we walk in darkness and we do the things that are that the way of this world, we're going to receive what what does pay out, right? And it's never what it promises, is it? But he says, those who, uh, those who live to please the Spirit will harvest life, everlasting life from the Spirit. So Paul, like I said, Paul believes and he trusts that we've been given the Spirit and the Spirit is able to do much in the mundane. And I want us to see and think about the image that he uses there. He says, those who live in the spirit will harvest everlasting life. Harvest doesn't bring about the image of quick action, um, you know, fast, fast, big moments. Harvest brings to mind this, this image of slow, steady progress. It brings to mind something that, uh, you know, the seed is in the ground and you will not see the fruit of it for some time. And while you are here, you might not ever see the fruit of it. Walking in the spirit is like a farmer planting crop. Producing fruit of the spirit is like a harvest. And it takes some time. I, I would say if we want to see the fruit of the Spirit in our life, we're going to have to understand it's going to take some time of us walking in the Spirit. And this is where I would get back to that supposition about Nina and say Nina didn't hear about uh, her best friend's brother needing a kidney and in that moment go, I am the person for the job. Nina was prepared to be the person after years of walking in the spirit. This is, this is something, this is a harvested fruit after a long time of germinating in the ground. But then I love what he goes on to say. He said, let's not get tired of doing what is good. Now, whenever I think about that, I again think, that's not, let's not get tired of having those, those big events. Let's not get tired of continuing to be patient with your children when you've been patient for five minutes already. And every parent understands this, right? Let's not get tired of correcting our ch children when we've corrected them five times already. Let's not get tired of taking care of somebody and offering them your help when they seem to be taking advantage of your help. Let's not get tired of doing what's good. He says, at just the right time, we will reap a harvest. There's that harvest word again of blessing if we don't give up. It sounds like that stuff that you can't see producing fruit, one point is going to produce fruit, so don't give up. Don't stop just with those kind gestures to people in the grocery store. I walk through the grocery store and I say hi to everybody because my dad walked through the grocery store and he said hi to everybody. It's something that was ingrained in me, but I always walk through the grocery store and I'll say hi to people and I'll give a gentle nod. And if my son is with me, he will say to me, dad, who was that? And I will say, son, I do not know. I was just being nice. But what I love, and I saw this one day, we were walking into school and I have the 
blessing and the benefit of right, taking my boys to school. And uh, every morning we either listen to songs that they want to hear or they get schooled on some good classic rock and some uh, 90s alternative and grunge. And, and, uh, and I, I'm showing them all the, all the good bands that they need to know in this world. And then, and then we also get to listen to worship songs together, some good John Mark McMillan, and we will uh, have a time of prayer. And then we will get out of the car and we'll walk. And, and one day we were walking and and as we were walking by, uh, there's people coming by, and I saw Asher waving and saying hello. And I thought, my boy is just like me. Yeah. But I can tell you as a father, that is a slow work that I didn't have to say to my son, say hi to people. He's caught it. It wasn't taught to him. But it, it was like a harvesting moment. And then he says, therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially those in the family of faith. And whenever we have the opportunity, I think about not those big, bold, daring moments, but we have a bunch of opportunities each and every day to make much in the mundane. But of course, this requires that we walk in the spirit. And we'll talk more about this next week, but I believe that this is where it becomes incumbent that you and I go, hey, what God wants of me each and every day is to walk in the spirit. Whether that's in big ways or if that's in little ways, that's what my call is. I might be called as I walk in the spirit to do some big, bold, adventurous things. As I walk in the Spirit, I might be called to give a kidney. Here's what I would say. is Unless I am walking in the Spirit, will I ever be prepared to answer the call to give a kidney? How could I trust myself if I'm not willing to walk in the Spirit in the mundane and in those major moments? I would be ready. I don't see that I could trust myself. But last week we talked about this, like, you know, just having some disciplines in our life. Every day you wake up and you recite the Jesus Creed. I am hero Israel. The Lord, our Lord is one. And we are to love him with all of our hearts, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength. And we are to love others as ourselves. Have you practiced that this week? Have you seen that it's challenged you and made you think of some things? But then I think about this is walking in the spirit. Maybe we just need to be thoughtful and considerate each and every day just to keep unpacking. Okay, today I am supposed to think about what it means to be loving and patient and kind and gentle and peaceable and temperate. That's what God wants of me today. He wants that of me as I walk. And I would press that image. Not as I run, jump, spin, twirl, do the big exciting thing. Just as I'm walking. And so I would encourage us that we make a disciplined habit of, of pressing into each one of those things that we see are fruit of the Spirit. Like this, Paul says in uh, Philippians chapter number four, whatsoever thing is good and true and honorable and virtuous and peaceful and holy, think on these things. And so I would challenge us this week that part of us walking in the Spirit is just paying attention to what the Spirit looks like, the character and the quality of the Spirit. That that becomes part of a habit, a discipline in our life so that we can, we can challenge ourselves. 
even if I'm not called to give a kidney this week. I can be peaceable in the midst of chaos. I can be uh, good-tempered in the midst of a raging moment, etc. And with that, I would say, amen. Uh, Lord, I love you. I thank you for who you are. offer your mercy and your grace. Uh, Lord, he came and he died and he has gone and he sent the spirit. And what I think is amazing is that the spirit not only indwells those who, who, who trust in him, but the spirit is beneficial to everybody. Because uh, whenever I am living in the spirit, somebody who doesn't deserve it is getting the blessings and benefits of you, God. And so, God, uh, even that, you are, you are outrageously merciful. Uh, Lord, here's what I want us to be able to do, is I want us to be able to trust that while we might be called to do some bold things, that peculiar moments, our faith is really lived out each and every day in the mundane. I pray that you would just please... Uh, help us uh, help us to see the vision of how beautiful that is. Um, I pray these things in Christ's mighty resurrected name. I'm going to invite y'all to a time just to uh, reflect on what uh, God might be speaking to you. And then uh, in just a moment, uh, Brother Mitch and the team will uh, dismiss us. Um, and as you are bowed in prayer, I would encourage y'all, uh, let's pray a, a word of thanksgiving and uh, for um, the time that we got to have with our uh, children's ministry yesterday. We were able to put together uh, 70 bags that we'll take to and deliver to the transportation department. But uh, we had uh, probably 25 to 30 kids here yesterday that uh, we just got to love on and have a good time with. And uh, we're thankful for them and thankful for the adults that helped. So, you know,